Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is you're listening to this, because it's a podcast. <laughs> um, and welcome to the Football Attic podcast number 30. Uh, and, uh, well, firstly, I would like to say, I would just, I would I'd give the normal intro of welcome to my co-blogger, Chris Oakley, but I have to introduce him now as Football Supporters Federation nominated for Blogger of the Year co-blogger, Chris Oakley. How are you, Chris? <laughs> Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Shush. Um, yes, no, hello there. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, thank you very much. How are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. So I was uh, just adjusting the microphone volume there because I'm noticing that it's a bit loud. Um, yes, I'm very good, thank you, Chris. And, and how are you feeling about your nomination? Um, uh, probably as amazed as anybody, I think it's fair to say. Um, it's, it's all very silly. Um, I, I, I don't quite know... Um, how I came to be nominated in the first place um, other than I think it might have started from a silly joke because I, I think our friends, our good friends from the Two Unfortunates put out a tweet a couple of weeks ago as we were recording this saying that um, nominations are now open for the Football Sports Federation uh, Awards 2015 and uh, like probably many people, as soon as you see the words um, bl- football blogger and awards in the same sentence you kind of roll your eyes and think oh here we go because it's always the same people nominated in a lot of these categories, and it's usually the same people that win them as well. And and I think as a joke, I just said um, I put out a tweet saying, "Not that I wish to influence who you'd like to nominate for any of these categories." Dot dot dot. Um, and I, and I know Terry DeFellen from uh, The Sound of Football, my erstwhile colleague, <laughs> replied and put, "Vote Chris." And now whether he inadvertently has started a campaign for people to vote for me, I don't quite know. But I'm, if if nothing else, I got one nomination possibly from Terry. So thank you, Terry, for that. But um, from from that point to then finding out that I'm on the shortlist, I don't know quite what happened. But I'm I'm incredibly flattered, a little bit elated. I'll be honest. After what nine and a half years of football blogging, <laughs> for someone to put me on a shortlist is is incredible. It's it really is incredible, and um, I'm very grateful and all that. Thank you very much. But um, I have no illusions that I'm not, you know about whether I'm going to win. Fr- frankly, the fact is that the you know because I've been nominated, that's that's an award in itself. Uh, that I consider that quite some achievement, and I'm and I'm very happy with that. Thank you very much. But uh, you don't need to bow before me now. You can just <laughs> treat me treat me normally from now on. That's absolutely fine by me. Thank God for that. My knees are killing me. <laughs> Bowing and scraping and all that. Uh, well, from my personal point of view, I think it's thoroughly well deserved, and I'm very happy for you, mate. It's uh, like you say, oh. after nine and a half years of slogging your guts out of this stuff, it's the very much well deserved recognition. But anyway, let's oh, move on from that. Much. You know, so that's enough of yeah, that. Stop getting big-headed, Chris. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've waited long enough for this. I'm going to milk it while I get. No, anyway, <laughs> damn go. right. Yeah. Uh, right. So the subjects of this podcast number thirty is uh, something that uh, I think actually something you, you wrote an article a couple of years ago, Chris, where you entitled it "Future Nostalgia?" Question mark, which was a think about the Euro 2012 Panini album. And this was something we were thinking about recently. We we sort of decided that actually, because obviously we've always covered nostalgia, being a nostalgia website, that's what we do. Um, and but we thought, well, actually looking f- looking to the future, what will generations to come have as their own football nostalgia? Because we have all the staples, you know, Panini, Sabutio, things like that, and certain computer games from our day. And so. In the future, will people regard FIFA 16 as an actual classic, or you know, the fact that they release the same game every year with just slightly different kits and squads in it? You know, will that actually sort of take away from the classic nature? 
So we thought we'd have a look at, like we say, what future generations will will probably have as their nostalgia. Um, and we we put a tweet and Facebook call out, and we had a few responses. But uh, I think I think to start, Chris, I think we'll I'd still cover what I don't know what what we would have as what we had as our nostalgia that we think might still last into the future. So I mean, Panini obviously were a massive thing for us, but they're still very much going strong. Almost, I would say, having a bit of a renaissance at the moment. So, sure. how long do you think that will continue? Do you think that's something that will actually continue in the future? Um, well, there's the, the the thing that Panini and other sticker sticker manufacturers have going in their favour is that their product is actually something that you can tangibly hold, physically hold, and touch. Um, which, you know, is is entirely the appeal of it. I mean, we've probably discussed this before in previous podcasts, the whole thing of ripping open a packet, actually opening the pages of your album, peeling the back off the sticker, all of these things, physical kind of pleasures, so to speak. And although they've done this thing over the last, I don't know how many years, where you go to the Panini website and you can get... I don't know what they call them, like online stickers, which is basically, you know, you get sent a thing every day. You know, here's your packet for today, and you click on it, or and it opens it up, I think is kind of the general way it works. That's all fine, but I genuinely can't see that being a long-term replacement for stickers, because there's nothing like, you know, sticking the stickers in your album and, and having this physical <coughs> document, which you can keep for all the ages to come and and hand down to your to your kids and and everything else you know it's it's um I th- uh, you're right panini has had something of a renaissance and and i dare say that that will sort of um come and go in the years to come they they won't you know the renaissance may may not last for that long people sort of will get fed up the whole novelty will wear off and panini will go through another kind of fallow period i'm sure in maybe another i don't know 10 years time let's say but I think um, that, that they can, as long as Panini as a company can keep going, then they can almost be assured of the fact that for many, many, many years to come, um, they will be able to make stickers and there will be an audience that comes along every so often and go, oh yeah, this was really good, this, being able to open packets of stickers and sticking them into a book and all that. I, I, I see no reason why... Um, future generations yeah you know, I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to get the satisfaction of enjoying that themselves and it because obviously the, the the concept stays the same all you gotta do is to, to change the pictures on the stickers for the for the players that are around in any given era so um, you know football um, Panini bringing out certainly World Cup collections and stuff in the future I think you can be assured of um, what perhaps the, the the slant on this that might be more interesting is when we were kids when we were growing up that panini used to do an, an annual sticker album every year um you know football 81 football 82 football 83 and so on and they only sort of stopped doing that when they had competition from other manufacturers um whether they will ever go back to doing that again i don't know it all comes down to image rights and stuff and and unfortunately i don't i don't see that getting any better in the future because other companies will come along and, and try and wrestle that aspect of, of sticker making off of Panini. They will uh, insist that only they can do a Premier League collection, only they can do a Champions League collection. So it will, I can only see that getting more fragmented in the future. But um, but certainly for World Cups and things, you know, 
I, I, I can see Panini being around for a lot longer and, and uh, you know, kids who aren't even been, haven't even been born yet will I'm sure be able to get the pleasure of collecting Panini. What about what about yourself? Do you have a view on, on that? I, th- I think one of the key things for the longevity and, and continued success of Panini and Merlin and all the other sticker people, I think one of the key things is keeping it cheap enough so that kids can do it. Because it, it's, I think, over my lifetime, uh, he said, sounding like an old man. Um, I think of what I've seen, I think, I mean, like one of my big sort of things as a child was Star Wars. Obviously, for anyone that's mm. you know similar age to me, it was a massive thing as a child. But I think the problem with a lot of Star Wars stuff is that, I mean, some of it was never, it was never always cheap, but it was cheap enough so that you could buy the figures you know like a lot of the vehicles like the Atats and your Millennium Falcons were very expensive so they would become like a present for Christmas or a birthday Uh, but the figures were cheap enough so that you could buy them you know maybe one a a week once every two weeks or something and you could collect them over a period of time whereas when I look at stuff now for Star Wars it's so expensive because it's aimed more at adult collectors. It's not they're not almost yeah. really marketed as toys anymore. They're marketed as collectors items. And the problem with sure. that is that that then cuts out a lot of the kids because they're, you know, when a okay, I mean obviously adjusting for inflation and everything, but like when it, you've got a figure now starting at like 14, 15 pounds, that's not something you can buy once every week, once every two weeks. Whereas before, yeah. when they were you know a pound or one fifty or something, okay, like I say, inflation and all that, but they were something that you could buy every so often. And I think that's the key to things like stickers. Stickers have managed to traverse the ages, and they're still cheap. You know, they're still cheap enough hmm. to be a pocket money thing. You know, you got a bit of pocket money left, you can buy a pack of stickers, and or if you got you know you just got your pocket money, you could buy like five packs or whatever. And it's like they're still at that <laughs> price point where kids of a certain age can get into them because kids of a certain age apart from you know panini has obviously now found a new market in old men like us that will spend wads of cash on it because we can do but there's also their core market is still kids and it's like so long as they keep it cheap enough for kids to do i think it will survive like you said with ups and downs there's no doubt that the novelty will wear off and but then and then it will come back again because it then becomes a novelty mm. again it's like but i just think the price is one of the biggest keys to it and and like you said though that the, the fact that it's tangible and the fact that mm. if kids can afford it then they can swap and that's always been one of the things that's you know helped um the whole sticker mm. market in the first place is the fact that you can swap things it's you know, if mm. if you can't do that, and which okay, yes, you can you can have a virtual online album, but who cares when it comes to you know, a playground at, at lunch break or whatever, you know, and you get your massive pack of stickers out, and it's like right, you know, is your Jim Smith again? He said going back to nine eight seven, or or whoever the stars of today are, you know, so I'll swap your Ronaldo for a for a I don't know Pele. Is he still playing? I don't know. <laughs> And uh, but so well, I think it's just it's those two combinations price and uh, you know sort of like you say the tangible side of it and and there is nothing more exciting I mean as much as your online stuff goes it it'll never replace that feeling of like you said tearing a, a pack of stickers open and seeing what you've got and then being incredibly yeah. disappointed that you've got Wayne Rooney for the third time and no shinies. <laughs> I just what I'm wondering it's just something you touched on there is um, in terms of the cost. I mean, they are fundamentally if you if you if you're a kid in this day and age and you're buying <clears throat> packets of stickers. I don't know you know how much a packet of say World Cup stickers would be 
what they were last year or whatever. But um, what were they like thirty pence for a for a packet of stickers or something? <laughs> would have been like... I wish. No, <laughs> no, they <laughs> were they were about fifty uh, p I think for a pack, and you only get five. Fifty is it? Fifty now, yeah, and you only get five in each. But you know, Agreed. I know. Well, that's. I'm sorry, that's that's living in New Zealand for you. I'm, I've already lost touch with uh, how how much <laughs> things cost in the UK. Um, but um, what I'm thinking is that when I kind of got back into sort of panini sticker collecting as an adult, which was sort of for Euro 2000, I remember sort of, you know, at that age I was, what, 29, I think, and I remember sort of going into a WH Smith's and, and there were all these panini Euro 2000 sticker albums and things, and I thought, oh, I... I might be able to, you know, maybe I could start collecting these again as an adult. And of course, I had money in the bank because I had a job, and that's what you do when you're an adult, if you're lucky. Um, and I thought, I'm going to buy a box. I'm not going to muck around with this. I'm an adult now. I've got money. I'm going <laughs> to buy a box. And it was, I can't remember how much the box, and let's say, again, I'm having to guess at this, but let's say that packets would have been about, what, 30p each. So that would have been, what, a £30 for a box. Now, which kind of seems quite expensive, but I remember here's a little anecdote. Um, I think it was when Panini did their Football '82 collection, um, and I was collecting those. It was um, I was at junior school at the time, and there was a kid who uh, it was during lunch, during our lunch hour, lunch break, and and I went over the road to this sort of local parade of shops that were there, and um, I was hanging around with my mum, and this kid I know from my school who sort of fancied himself as a bit of a sort of school bully but was he was a little titchy kid so he was never going to crack that one um, I saw him go into the, the, the Martins uh, news agents and he came out cl- clutching about 10 packets of these Football 82 stickers now at the time I, that would have been that would have seemed to have needed a fortune he, he probably would have spent oh a pound or something you know because it would have been like 10p each for a packet of stickers and I remember thinking, where the hell did you get a pound from to be able to buy all these packets of stickers? It, or ha- however much it would have cost, 10 packets in one go, you'd, it was it would seem to have been like a fortune you'd needed. And, and But I don't know, I'm just trying to sort of get my head around comparing costs. Would it have seemed more expensive to do that then than now? And could you have, I mean, to buy a whole box of stickers in those days, you would have like had to have sold your house. To, you know, to, <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I'm not sure if... The, if you know, pound for pound, they're more expensive nowadays than not. But um, certainly, I would never have ended up getting, you know, buying. Uh, he probably stole some money off his mum or something. That that kid, Jason Olds. There you go. If you know, if he's still around, Jason Olds. I hope you feel, you know, ashamed of, you know, stealing money off your mum if that's <laughs> what you did. Maybe. Um, but um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, but as long as you say, as long as they keep it affordable, I think fine all well and good and and yeah kids will still be able to do it and and i I was just wondering actually about um, another thing that was around the late 70s was these packets of cards that you used to be able to get football cards with the with the uh now um almost sort of beyond cliche uh stick of vulcanized uh chewing gum like a rock hard piece stick of chewing gum in the pack and obviously slightly different format with those it's not a sticker album that you, get. you literally just collected the cards and carried the cards around with you um, and I know I think there's been a, f- a few manufacturers that have tried to do that down the years um, and I just wonder if that might kind of come back in a big way whether maybe Panini might get into that just doing cards 
um, with a little uh, a card that has a checklist on the back so you can tick off the ones that you've got. Um, but I mean, those sorts of things are, are very easy, to, I think, to make as long as you've got the rights to get the image, the images of all the players for whatever you know, whatever it is, Premier League, Champions League, whatever. Um, I see no reason why they can't be successful in the future because kids love that sort of stuff. And I think that's a very good point though about the image rights because obviously when I think when we were kids though we didn't really have image rights. You know, it was just <laughs> for instance like you know because I I've written about the two Daily Mirror albums that I had and obviously they were just using stock Daily Mirror photographer. <laughs> pictures so it was like yes. there was no image rights other than obviously the rights of the photographer who took the picture which obviously probably would have come under the banner of intellectual property of the daily mirror so but now i mean nowadays i think as things go forward in the future it will get more complicated because not only do you have image rights with teams but you have image rights with individuals so you could see mm. a future where you've got um you know sort of a man united team with no Wayne Rooney in it because he refuses because he's signed a deal with Merlin so Panini can do Man United but not Wayne Rooney and it's like you could end up with this bizarre situation where half of your squad is in a Panini album and half is in a Merlin album or something like that I mean <laughs> it's probably that probably won't happen because that would be ridiculous but it could because it, I mean it would already we already get that with having the Panini albums with uh, England in plain white t-shirts you know and just or floating yes. heads and it's like so you, you already get it now I mean how far that will go down that path I don't know but it, it is an it is an interesting point because that could well be the one thing that scuppers it in future hmm. well, I, I for one I'm looking forward to seeing Panini's Harry Kane album which has got pictures only of him when he joins uh, Barcelona in about 10 years time or whatever <laughs> 5 years time um, that's possibly uh, an inevitability of that situation but um, yeah we have single player albums yeah quite so I just shuddered just at the thought of that <laughs> yeah gross here he is at home and here he is making some cheese <laughs> on toast you know um, so that's Panini I mean I think Sabutio is a bit of a tougher one because obviously that was that's not exactly massive right now so it's it's mm. I, I don't know with Sabutio it's it kind of it's it's one of those things that just never seems to die but it doesn't seem to enjoy much of a life either these days I mean no. you know when we were kids it was massive and then kind of in the 90s it tailed off completely and then and then it, it's been brought back several times but even the latest incarnation of it is I would say it's it's hardly setting the world alight like it used to and I kind of feel mm. that I kind of feel that Sabutio in that sense has had its day I don't think it will ever be as popular as it once was because yeah. as time goes on the people who are nostalgic for it are, you know, fading. I don't mean they're all dying off, but what I mean, it's like, it's like kind of with each generation that comes along, you know, we've probably, you know, half passed it on to our kids. So the amount of people that have passed it on to their children out of all the people that used to play it as children themselves is obviously less than the actual original amount of people and mm. obviously as that generation then has children it will be get less and less and I just think I wouldn't be surprised if it still exists in 20 years I I kind of mm. I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't either but I also wouldn't be surprised if it just kind of exists almost again like it is now a bit like a niche product that you know just people keep bringing back for the sense of nostalgia but in different ways and in ever sort of smaller uh, sort of mm. you know kind of like ranges and stuff because the ranges you can get now it's like they're very limited and I don't know it's it's I well, just I can see that just still sticking around but it, it's I don't think it's ever going to reach its heyday again and I certainly don't think it will be I don't think it will really fall into the future nostalgia not in the way that we're talking about i.e. people who are in their 40s look back on it I think it will be people mm. who are in their 60s like our generation still looking back on it and kind of 
you know trying to sort of talking about that i don't i don't think it's actually got a future as a future nostalgia no i i take your point on most of what you said there pretty much i'm i'm in agreement virtually all the way there um i mean my my view is that um you know the way that subutio is now not that i i'm really i, I i'm i'm a, across how subutio is these days but i know there's lots of communities around the world of people sort of playing it and enthusiasts and so on and so forth um it appears to me that those groups um are those groups of people are actually essentially um uh, i don't know somehow kind of creating their own customizing their own teams like they're, they're getting all the parts they can get lots of spare parts and things off of websites like ebay and what have you and they can and they're painting their own players and so they're customizing everything um i just think with things like 3d printers becoming more and more um, prevalent if there will come a point where basically you can make your own subutio players you know you just like you just design a kit on your computer and you'll just be able to sort of pump out a team ready made ready to go and, and if that's the case then i think that could take things into a completely new direction but it still comes down to whether kids are going to be interested in actually you know getting all their equipment out and all, you know, putting the pitch on the table or on the floor depending on how you used to play subutio and physically having a game of subutio with your mates because you know computer technology is just going to kind of get better and better and you know uh, video game consoles that of course is as a lot of people will be only too aware that's what kind of um, nipped the uh, sort of subutio um, the, the 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 real following for subutio in the bud back in the 80s it was the, the pretty much sort of production of a lot of the teams and accessories and things kind of ground to a halt because it was deemed that a lot of the kids were getting into video games this was back in the era when you had sort of zx spectrums and things but um and i think obviously nowadays with the way video games are that will be much more tempting i think for kids than than playing subutio but if you then tell kids that you can make your own teams your own players your own accessories who knows it may be possible to 3d print some working floodlights in the future yeah <laughs> that that may just give it a little bit more put a little bit more heat under it and so i'm yeah i'm not quite sure i think as you say it's it's main heydays is now definitely long past that was in the 70s and 80s i don't think that will come back unless they can figure out some way of using micro engineering to sort of self-propel the players so you have to flick them or something i don't know there'll be some kind of technological boost to it but it that will be really sort of i don't know um, putting it in a completely new direction and it will, you, you will lose the essence of what Subutio used to be so I'm not sure but 3D printing could be could be an interesting sort of angle on things yeah well 3D yeah that's a very good point actually. I mean 3D printing could I don't necessarily whether it would uh, create a revival in Subutio but it certainly could mm. sort of create a revival in sort of collecting figure type things especially if you could have like you said like colour ones where you could actually mm. get, I mean whether well I don't think you can get colour 3D printing right now I don't think you might be able to but certainly not on a, an affordable scale but you know no. you could always create the, the things and paint them yourself but then I think that kind of lends itself to larger figures and I think you know people might just yeah. you can end up with like a, a sort of set of templates for produ producing figures of your favourite player rather than you know kind of Sabutia thing I think the I think the biggest problem Sabutia has as a game is 
and I'll probably get hate mail for for saying this, but it really doesn't capture the excitement of the game. You know, it, it yeah. sounds it sounds harsh for people that love Sabutio, and I'm sure people who love Sabutio and play it a lot will say it it is exciting. And that's the thing. I'm not saying Sabutio is not exciting in itself. It doesn't capture the excitement of football because football's a very fluid and dynamic game. And Sabutio, okay, yeah, when it's played properly and people are doing it, you know, when they're playing very quickly, yes, it is very fluid. But hmm. for the average child playing it it's not it's a very slow game because you and there's so many rules and everything around it and the problem is compare that with something like FIFA which you can play on your Xbox or whatever that does capture the excitement and the fluidity and the speed and everything else instantly you don't have to go through rules you don't have to learn (laughs) okay you can learn tricks and stuff but you can just pick that up put it on an easy setting and be playing football instantly and it's exciting and you can score spectacular goals and you just can't yeah. do that with Sabutio Sabutio to get that to that level of fluidity and excitement you have to be a master of it or you yeah. know at least very good at it and be playing someone who is also that way you know it's like so yeah. there's a lot of effort to get to the same level and okay it's not as visceral it's not as tactile but it's FIFA is much more accessible, and we've said this before, you know, because I think we touched on on this before about um, people people moaning about computer games being a solitary thing, and it's like, but they're not, mm. because just because you have to be sitting in a room with no other person, you're still playing other people online across the world, so it still very much yeah, is yeah. a game played with other people. So it's, mm. and, and like I say, it's a lot more instantly accessible. So I don't know, it's, I, I just, like like I think we both said, I think Sabutio will continue, and I think you're actually the point you made about the fact that there are clubs and associations across the world actually when you look at that that's in rude health that's doing very Mm. well so but as a as a nostalgia for a child i don't think it really has a future like you say as an actual tournament around the world and something that professionals will continue i think that will that will continue but and i think you'll find that the, the the next generations of that come from not children who have played it at home but probably you know children of the parents who play it and and I suppose that that are around that sort of club, you know, rather than mm. just. I mean, you might you'll still get the odd child and that who'll get interested in it, but I don't think it will come from, you know, buying Christmas presents and and sort of having that same sort of relationship with it. No, no, indeed. Um, yeah, I think if if Sabuto is to continue, I think kids will make of it what they will um, from however Sabuto is in the future if that makes sense so in the here here and now I don't think they'll kind of look back and want to buy like I've probably done all too often down the last few years buying old um, say Sabutio posters or buying even teams that you can still get on eBay and things like that because I'm sure there are people that do that they collect the teams even if they don't play with the Sabutio stuff they still like the idea of owning the boxes that the teams come in and, and collecting the accessories and stuff I don't think kids will be doing that I mean, one thing that actually sort of sprang to mind uh, just a moment ago after I was talking about the 3D printing thing is is actually um, the standardization of what Subutio is and what the parts are like. Because if 3D printing does advance in, say, 10, 20 years or whatever to the point where you can make your own Subutio players, of course, what, what kids will probably start doing then is actually making their own... They'll start tweaking you know, how big the players are or the base, the, the you know, the hemispherical base or, you know, how the players stand. With, you know, and, and, and they'll start customising things to the point where it actually no longer has... 
it follows the standards of what the players, you know, how heavy the players got to be, how tall the players got to be, because probably a lot of kids will start actually making them to their own requirements, and and suddenly I think it will be, probably become very fragmented, um, and th- th- probably a lot of confusion will come about of like, well, you know, I, I, we can't play Sabuta with your team because your players are bigger than mine. You made your own players, and mine are the proper ones, and. I mean, I know I'm probably getting into the realms of fantasy here, but that's that's I'm just sort of thinking on my feet here. That's what could result from people making their own uh, uh, Sabutio players. But um, yes, but I, I, I don't think I think you're quite right. They, kids won't be nostalgic about the Sabutio of say the 70s and 80s no. in, in years to come. Um, so, well, we touched on video games a minute ago, so this is an interesting one as well, because video mm. games are obviously something that was pretty much new to our generation, and they hadn't really existed before, um, obviously with the home yeah. computer boom of the sort of early 80s. So we're talking at relatively new nostalgia, but even even now, it's already firmly established. I mean, you look, you have obviously, like, you know, you just mentioned the word sensible soccer to anyone, and, you know, they'll go all dewy eyed over it and things like that, <laughs> and kick, kick off and things like that. So, but the, 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 I suppose the, the weird thing is, is like, like I say, like I said in the intro, will people actually regard FIFA or Pro Evo in the future as nostalgia? Because I'm, I'm sure they probably <laughs> will, but it seems an odd one because, I don't know, like, it, back in our day you know you didn't have like a series of football games that kind of came out every year with minor improvements that you know was just very realistic you had games that were very clearly computer games you know there was no you know a lot of the sense of realism was very much removed from them I mean even Sensible Mm. Soccer which is regarded as an absolute classic was you know, realistic. It was Top it down. was an arcade game. It wasn't you know in any way a realistic yeah. football simulator. Whereas <laughs> the, the FIFA and Pro Evo games are almost football simulators. They, you know, they're they're they're, they're very realistic. Um, and but like I say, you've you've kind of really only got those two. You don't have anything else. Like I say, when we were younger, you'd have like a computer game that would come out, which was you know something, and you'd have another one that would come out, and they'd all be fairly average. And then something like Kickoff would come along, and it'd be like, wow, this one's actually really good. <laughs> and then Sensible Soccer would come along, and it's like, wow, that one's really good. And then you'd have, and then you started along the lines of FIFA and the uh, Pro Evo, or I think it was International Superstar Soccer as it originally was. And mm. then you started. There were little games that became quite good. And then as computing power got better, the games got better, and there were more of them. And there was also quite a lot of you know, turgid <laughs> games as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. But then, over time, they've kind of whittled down to just really FIFA and Pro Evo, which yep. are now, um, again, I might get hate mail for saying this, to me, virtually the same game. You know, I, I, I was sure. always a Pro Evo fan rather than a FIFA thing, but they are so similar now in their game mechanics and, and you know, and what the experience they deliver that they are very similar games, you know. It's, hmm. As much as the devotees of both might tell you they're incredibly different, they're not really. They're both very realistic football simulators. So it's like, but there's only those two. So, and like I say, they release a new one every year, which is a, a slightly different from the year before. So there isn't any sort of classic standout game other than mm. the series itself, and and you know, you, okay, you can get nostalgic over a series, but it's like it's not like when you know Sensible Soccer came out. That was a groundbreaking game, and like kickoff before it, and then you know when the first sort of like um like when the first previews or the like actual soccer when that came out, and it's like so we we were nostalgic for a particular game, um yes. but 
But now, what's different between, you know, are you really going to think, oh, I remember FIFA, when FIFA 16 came out as opposed to when FIFA 14 came out? You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's like, okay, there will, be, there will always be those people who that's their first FIFA game. But when they've played FIFA 17, 18, 19, 20, etc., will they really look back on 14 with any sense of distinct nostalgia? <laughs> or will it just be, oh, that was my first game? And then yeah, when no, they look I... at the game they're playing now it'll be different but will it be that much different i don't know it's hard to tell because obviously you know computing power does increase but when i look at like i mean i play the call of duty series you know and when i look back yeah. at like modern warfare when that one first came out is that much different to the ones that are coming out now not really not massively hmm. yeah the graphics are better and yeah there's, there's new things because they're set in the future now and it's like but the actual experience of playing it is still very very similar Whereas yes. the, the experience of playing sensible soccer compared to the first FIFA games and also compared to going backwards, say like Man United in Europe or something, is completely different. So yeah. it's, they created groundbreaking experiences, whereas, like I say, Modern Warfare, in effect, created a groundbreaking experience in the Call of Duty series. But ever since then, there's been nothing that's been you know, mind-blowing. They've all just been yeah. iterations of the same thing, and that's the thing with FIFA. It's just They're just iterations of the same thing. So I'll let you talk now, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, fair point. Um, I think um, for kids of the future to get nostalgic about what's around now, it's going to need a real big leap forward, much like the one that you said, going from, say, the days of... Oh, I don't know football manager you know on the spectrum whatever and then suddenly the leap forward to when you get to things like what was on the Amiga like sensible soccer and kickoff that was an enormous leap forward it took a while to get there but once you did get there there was a a, a real noticeable difference in quality because the computing um, power had really leapt forward so therefore there was there was a distinct difference between those two types of games or those two eras if you like and similarly I think if in 20 years time kids are going to look back on FIFA 13, 14, 15, whatever and, and be nostalgic it, it's going to need some uh, another big leap forward between now and yeah, whenever, 20 years hence um, because if they just keep churning out the same stuff, you know, these FIFA games year on year and they, if in 20 years time they're still like they are now, then there is going to be nothing to compare it to because they will all be the same essentially the same game so, and I'm sure computing technology will um, really progress I don't know quite what the next sort of different you know what the next level will be but I mean it sounds stupid to say it but it's going to need something like you know holographic displays or something to sort of suddenly go wow that's the now the new thing and you can then compare that to the FIFA games that are around now um, <laughs> just, yeah, I'm just going to stop for a moment and sort of think about holographic you know, football video games and what that's going to be like <laughs> um, yeah, like having like a, a display in your front room so it looks like the players are playing around on your you know, carpet in your front room um, you know if it, it sounds stupid to say it but if, if with a leap forward like that that's that then gives you the the, the, the distance between what's <laughs> going to be around in the future and what's around now um, but I think there there will be, um, uh, you know, in, in let's say in twenty years' time, there will be adults that are around thirty that will remember the days of FIFA ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, and all the pro, pro Evo games. Because if you imagine it, kids now they're they're entering this whole sort of world where you've got these really advanced games 
brilliant graphics, animated sequences, you know, commentators, um, you know, actually describing the game while you're playing it, and all the things we know about for video games as they are now. That's what they're they've been born into, if you like, and and for them that must be a, a real thrill. And for us old people, <laughs> sorry, speaking for myself, maybe um, we we can kind of compare that with the stuff that was on the Spectrum and the Commodore sixty four <coughs> and the Amiga and stuff, and 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 we see that that's the, where you know where we've advanced to. Um, so I think you know in in twenty years time, you know, your thirty and forty year old will kind of go, yeah, I remember the FIFA games because they were amazing. They had such detail. Now we kind of in, in the in the here and now, we're sort of looking at those and sort of thinking mm, they're a bit samey, really, because they're you know we've, we've sort of we can see the wider picture. So I think there will be a bit of nostalgia for that in in future, but um, I think to some extent it's going to need another technological leap forward before it can happen. And I don't know what direction that's going to go in. Um, maybe our listeners will have their own views on <laughs> what, what computer technology will be like uh, in the year twenty thirty five. Well, the funny thing is, I was just thinking about it, and like, really, any game that tries to emulate a sport on on the computer, mm. the ultimate thing you're aiming for over the course of that development of the game is realism and how how mm. close to the actual thing you can make it. And yeah. you know, obviously, the games that we had, like you know, World Cup '86 from Arctic Software, and mm. and and even Sensible Soccer, you know, they were, were a long way off being realistic representations of the game. They sure. were fun but they yep. weren't in any way realistic. And we've hit the point with FIFA and Pro Evo that we are, to be honest, pretty damn realistic. You know, okay, you're still pressing mm. buttons, but that's because it's a computer game, you know. I suppose the only, like you said about holographic things, it's like, once you start going down that road, you're actually deviating from what a computer game is. So you're starting mm. to deviate into... Alternative you know, reality. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, like virtual reality, like Lawnmower Man. But it's like, but <laughs> once you start down that path, then you've left behind the computer game aspect it's still a game but you've moved it more into a physical aspect you know almost like the mm. um, like the Kinect and the uh, like the Wii and things like yep. that so you started moving to a physical realm but the thing is that's a different type of computer game whereas yeah. and the problem is that we've almost hit the point in terms of a traditional computer game played with a controller that you already have you're already at the limit of how real you can get and anything <laughs> now is diminishing returns because it's like you know you compare the like you said the technological leap between say sensible soccer and and fifa if you looked sensible soccer now that was a pinnacle of gaming at the time and here we are what 20 years later and we've hit fifa which is incredibly realistic now in 20 years how much more realistic can you get and that's the point we're at a point now where the games are so realistic that any further improvements you can do to that will not ever represent the same difference as what we've seen mm. and it's I know, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm aware that while saying this it sounds like the man who said you know television is just a flash in the pan but it's like <laughs> you know it's but I it's because it's almost like you can never see what is coming but I just feel that the game as it is is so realistic now I'm not saying that you can't get more realistic but the differences and the changes that you could make to make it more realistic are so small that yeah. for each new year that comes out like I say it's just like a almost like a refreshed version the games themselves are almost the same whereas oh, yeah. like I say when you compare something like well it, and again to use the analogy Modern Warfare on the Xbox compared with the game that came out yesterday Black Ops which I was playing last night it's like <laughs> there's very little difference in the gameplay yes the graphics are better every time and, and you know there's a different story but the actual gameplay itself 
is almost identical. You know, you're still playing the mm. same game, but it's it's just looks nicer and but it it doesn't feel any more immersive. So it's like no. in in the last what ten years, we've not really gone any further. No. Yes, it I, looks, I think. Sorry, go on. No, no, sorry. I was just going to say. I think the 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 only other idea I can kind of come up with is it's going to be sort of some kind of immersive technology whereby you wear a headset or goggles or something and you are on the pitch and using the kind of uh, Wii kind of style or connect or whatever you know you will have to stand up and you can kick the ball or you think you're kicking the ball because you're in this kind of 3D world that's been generated and you you will feel that you are on the pitch that's probably going to be the next thing but as you quite rightly say that then it takes it into a a new area where it's no longer like a football game as we know it now it's and it's difficult to compare the two really yeah exactly Um, and that's the thing it's just like but then I don't know it's it's just like does that is that the future of computer games I don't know because they've always said that for the last 20 years you know virtual reality has been has been a thing and okay the technology is finally I mean if you look at the Microsoft HoloLens you know the technology of that is amazing for what it could do and there's um, you know there's there's that but it's I don't know it's well, I don't know. Maybe the first one of those that actually comes out will be a future nostalgia for someone else because that will be a game changer. And maybe then mm-hmm. traditional computer games for things like that will disappear. You know, you, we yes, just exactly. don't know. If only we had a crystal ball. Um, <laughs> well, I suppose that covered, kind of covers computer games. I, don't, I think we've sort of done that one. So, um, right, next. So, well, this is a bit of an odd one because I would say it's, again, similar to Sabutio. Still exists, but I would I don't know how nostalgic it's going to be in the future. And this is magazines, because obviously again you know to use the phrase over and over again when we were kids, uh, we mm. had like match and shoot, which for, for children specifically, which were you know absolute stalwarts. They were very very popular, and of course shoots died off, uh, and we now have match. Uh, but you know match in its incredibly crappy dumbed down form, which you know. <laughs> The youth of today seem to lack, um, but I don't know what the readership for it is. And obviously, with the the old uh, the interweb thing, uh, you know, people get a lot of their information from there. And and I don't know, magazines are still going very strong though, as a whole, you know. And kids' magazines still, it's not like magazines as print media are dying out. I'm sure that the hmm. you know the actual readership figures are probably not what they were but it's not like you sort of walk into any um, uh, news agent or supermarket and there's hardly any magazines there there's still absolutely loads of them um, yeah. but it'll be interesting to see how that goes in the future because obviously a lot of magazines are aimed at older people um, I don't know kids still like magazines though I mean my, my own stepson um, he you know had Nat Geo kids for years and absolutely loved it there's still something about like you've said about the tangibility of these things that people just do love but I yeah. don't know with, with football magazines because the problem is a lot of football magazines is based on news or at least it used to be when we were yes. kids when we were yeah. kids um, whereas of course now you know it's pointless because the, the everything's out of date within a day you know when you can get yeah. instant access to, to information and it's I don't know so I suppose that's kind of why they've moved away from actual news in, in um, things like this and concentrating more on features and loud garish colours you know but <laughs> But I suppose you it's... sound old. <laughs> Too don't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when it was all black and white, mate. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Black uh, and white magazines are cheaper because of the license. Yeah, God bless them. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but I suppose then also you you do have then uh, things like four four two, 
um, and world soccer for the for the older gent and I say gent because it is almost certainly primarily men that will buy those things I'm not but, saying that women don't but you know it is primarily men um, <laughs> so I said that will there again will there be the same nostalgia I mean I, I kind of I suppose it's an odd one in the sense that you look back on I mean I look back on my days of buying Goal magazine when that came out in the mid 90s when mm. I was at, um, you know my 20s and I, I have very fond memories of that but you can still buy 442 so it's kind of it kind of doesn't really feel that much nostalgic even though it's now 20 years ago because you can still buy it so it's mm. it's still there and it's still very much in, it, in its actual same form you know 442 now is is still very much what it was 20 years ago so it's it's right. a bit of an odd one whereas like I say match is not um, I don't know what do you think again I'm waffling no no um Oh, very interesting, actually. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, you, you raise a very good point there that when I used to buy shoot and many of us used to buy shoot, it was what you got it on, on you know, as far as content was concerned was mostly news. It was all about you know so and so's just signed for club X and you know so and so's going to be transfer listed. So and so's been injured. It was all kind of to keep you up to speed with what was going on. And of course. I mean, the, the impression I get, and I could be proven wrong, is that kids are a lot more clued up now because of the <coughs> internet and because of satellite TV and everything else. There's, it, we're living in an information age, and now I sound like some kind of <laughs> twit. Some 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 uh, instructional video from Microsoft in the 1990s. Well, I was just going to say, I sound like a you know a presenter of Tomorrow's World, circa 1983. Like you know, just, <laughs> you just need to use the phrase "information superhighway" next, and we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> That's <Yes>. internet bingo. <laughs> Sources say that electronic typewriters may lo no longer be a viable. Anyway, um, but I just think, yeah, I mean, kids are just a lot more clued up. I mean, um, a sort of friend of a friend of a friend had a, a son who's about nine. Uh, this is going back a few years, and we'd occasionally go around and visit their place and catch up and chin wag and everything else. And this kid who's nine, he would, he would, he honestly, he it was like he was a walking encyclopedia of, you know, he knew everything about Arsenal football team, uh, Arsenal football club, because that's he supported Arsenal, and he knew pretty much every player in the squad uh, when they joined, how you know their height, weight, previous clubs, and that was because he that was kind of his thing, and and certainly there was, I, I suppose, there's a parallel there with with me, I think, and and but maybe many other people of my age if you're in your mid 40s that when you're growing up and you're a kid you have a real hunger for information and knowledge and you, I mean I was always you know had my head sort of stuck in various reference books when I was a kid just loved reading facts and figures it's ridiculous <coughs> really think about it but and and he was much the same only for him the his access to all that information was far easier because all he had to do was switch his computer on and and hook up with the web and and it was all there um and I just wonder if um, as you say, like you know, magazines like Shoot, if they're going to be around uh, in the long-off future, whether they've just got to change the content because they they can pretty much assume that kids will know who's about to sign for which club and and all the rest of it, and um, and therefore it's the only thing maybe that magazines can provide that aren't so easy to come by are things like interviews with players but even then if you look if you know where to look on the web you can find those as well um i suppose really 
another thing as well is kind of the gossip angle i mean i, I know you know kids and, and indeed a lot of adults like sort of talking about oh you know we might be signing this player from whatever club um we've i've heard that you know west ham are going to buy this player or, or whatever um can can a magazine kind of tap into that i'm not so sure it can um so therefore it's got to be dare i say it, a bit dumbed down for kids in future that the only thing that a magazine can provide is imagery and pictures and and sort of puzzles and competitions and silly sort of stuff really even and, and because kids are just a lot more sort of switched on now they just know a lot more um they probably know a lot more now than the editors of magazines like shoot did in the 70s i would say that probably wouldn't be too far from the truth so i do wonder whether football magazines will be around in say 20 25 30 years time uh, just because for an information source a, you know a printed page isn't going to have the same appeal as it used to do um much I like books and football annuals and stuff it's the same principle i think <clears throat> i suppose it also comes down to magazines might still exist but like you said whether they'll be in printed form will be another matter because mm. obviously already you can get digital subscriptions to things like when saturday comes and i'm pretty sure 442 and i mm. don't know if match is available as an online magazine i don't think it is but but again you know will people you know the magazines as a concept might still exist but you know will it be in digital format only it's it's very hard to say because like mm. you know the kindle was supposedly the death of books but books are doing fine thank you very much you know it's and <laughs> because people still like that tangible thing but again is that a generational thing do kids like that because we were grow we were brought up with tangible things you know we didn't have the net so the magazines and oh. books were the only way of getting that information in the same way that you know most kids nowadays i don't know when my kids in their lifetime must have bought about 10 cd's between them <laughs> but they've got tons of music you know it's just like oh yeah but i have got a collection of about five or six hundred cds from my time you know over the years but even now and i still like if there's an album i really like i will buy the cd because i'd like to have that tangible thing hmm. but that's because to me tangible means something whereas to the generation now tangible doesn't necessarily mean anything they doesn't they don't need anything tangible for it to no. feel like it's got value whereas for us you know you had to have something in your hand to feel like you'd got something and almost yeah. like buying a digital copy of something kind of almost feels like a bit cheated it's like well why am I paying this for this digital copy when I don't have I've not got an actual physical product so but like I say that that kind of doesn't go but at the same time like I say I know that my kids loved magazines as kids and <laughs> I think I don't know there's there's still something about getting a magazine and I think there's still something about getting something every week you know it's something yeah. to look forward to whatever it is it's it's that concept of having something to look forward to especially when you're a child and you don't have lots of money and you just have a little bit of pocket money the concept that you're getting something on a guaranteed weekly basis is something to really look forward to and i think that doesn't change through generations but like i say the delivery method might so it might just be that you know you get your newish edition delivered to your ipad or something and yeah. i don't know I, I, I think that's i think obviously with the, the way everything else like the way the music's gone that will form a a lot you know, the, probably the majority in future of the of delivery method, but it doesn't mean to say that the magazines will die out full start. I suppose the biggest problem you've got is that the fewer people buy the physical magazine, the less financially viable it becomes. So yeah. therefore, you end up doing what Shoot did, which is just stop physical production altogether and just become an online magazine. Yeah, I don't know. But like all... I say, I think magazines will exist, just whether they're in physical format. I think is is the question. Yeah, and I think also there's something to be said as well for whether the undoing of um, magazines in the future will come down to um, the fact that 
kids will, you know, in terms of having proper um, qualified journalists that, that that actually report on stuff and then put it into a magazine, especially something like World Soccer, um, whether kids will be more than happy just to go off to a blog from someone that they know or you know a website that they've been visiting for the last year or two they can just pick the pick the knowledge up from there and so therefore there'll be less demand for journalists dare i say unfortunately um in the future and so the people that used to sit at a typewriter back in the 70s and 80s actually typing up articles for magazines they won't be around anymore so therefore the content won't be there to, to in quite the same amounts to go into printed magazines in future so that's I mean, which is kind of a you know another angle to look from but um it's start, it's also start. i think how sustainable that is because i oh. think with the rise of of blogging um there are a lot of um articles now that are basically where newspapers and magazines kind of ask bloggers to provide content for them but don't mm. expect and i think terry defellen's always made a point about this you know yes. the fact that they want content but don't want to have to pay for it and I think the problem is there's a lot of there are a lot of bloggers out there who will do that because they want the recognition, and it's in the in the way that you know the the rise of the sort of the position of intern, which is basically an unpaid job, uh, has has you know when when I was a when I was a youth an internship didn't exist, whereas now it's it's quite common if you want to get ahead in the industry that the first job you ever had is completely unpaid. Sure, and it's yeah. the same. So you know the, the, a lot of people expect content for free nowadays, so the concept of paying for it will almost become anachronistic in itself it's like well why should I pay a journalist to do this when I can get some blogger to do it for free yep. and it's and that's I suppose how you cut costs and like you've said what then does that do to football journalism does that keep going <laughs> or does that then become a restricted pool of specialists or something who are you know it, it becomes an ever decreasing circle of, of people Wow, yep. this is a very pessimistic podcast, isn't it? I was it? just saying, it's getting very <laughs> depressing, isn't it? <laughs> We're predicting the world's going to end in a minute, you know. <laughs> I thought I'd just go off and slit my throat casually in a minute. <laughs> or you just yeah. get a blogger to do it for nothing, you know. Oh, yeah. you, wait, you, are, you are a blogger. Nominated <laughs> yes. as well, yeah. Um, <laughs> right, uh, okay, so that's, you know, magazines are dead, everyone's died, and, and the world's <laughs> a desolate place. So what have we got left then? Uh, we got a list here that we had. Match day programmes. Now... Somebody mentioned yeah. this on a, on a tweet, and I, for the, forgive me if that was you listening in, but um, somebody did mention programmes, and I, which tallies up with something I was thinking about, really, because that is something... I mean, all right, a lot of people go to football matches and, and sit there in the stands and on their phone, you know, checking for, for score updates and stuff like that, but I don't know, I can still see football magazine... Uh, sorry, uh, match day programmes still being around in the future. Um, I think it's, it, that is something that's almost unavoidable if you, know, if you want to find out sort of and it get an insight into what's been happening at your club in the week leading up to the match um all right if you go to the club website you might find one or two articles but it's it's presented in such a way with a match day program that i think it's it's a very specific product and i think that will to some extent will continue well the thing with programs as well is that they're not just an article in themselves they are part of the match day experience yeah exactly and that's yeah. that's the niche that they've always had because like i mean me and you were talking about this just before we actually started recording and we we're saying that you know programs generally actually when you look at them don't have a lot of great content you know it's a bit of mm -hmm. like you know a fixture list uh you know um like an intro from the manager a uh, bit of news about the club um coverage adverts. of the last of the last game you played and then lots and lots of adverts yeah <laughs> and it's like so as an actual you know if, if that was a magazine in the shops you wouldn't buy it probably because it's just <laughs> like 
what is this? You know, when you look at the actual content in it, but like I said, it's part of the match day experience. And I think that is something that possibly will be handed down generation to generation. It's difficult because, I mean, you know, were, were kids the target demographic of programs or were they always kind of more aimed at sort of adults? You know, I, I don't oh, I know. And I, I, yeah, I tend to agree because I mean I know that my my stepson goes to the football matches quite a bit with his mate, and they never buy a program. But hmm. I know that if we go, I will always buy a program because it's a nice little souvenir of of having gone. Yeah. And like I say, it's also the whole thing is with a, a program. You almost have a captive audience because you've got people sitting there waiting for the match to kick off. Now, hmm. yes, okay, you can surf the internet. But you can also browse through this little magazine you've got. So, and it's it's relevant to the to the event you're going to. So, yes. I, I I agree with you, Chris. I think they will still be in in pretty good health. And I can't really see the switch to electronic format in the same way because it it's not then part of your match day experience. If you have to go online to do it, you could do that anywhere. It doesn't then become exclusive to going to the match. No. Um... I, I, absolutely and, and although uh, just sort of picking up on your point there about the buying a, su- a, a program because it becomes a souvenir I suppose the um, the technological equivalent of that is people then sort of when they, when they arrive at the ground they get to their seat they then kind of get their camera working on their phone and then they go around snapping pictures and that's their physical proof that they were there which is also terribly depressing I mean <laughs> nothing wrong with taking <laughs> photos or anything like that I just sort of think that you know, it doesn't compare though. If you've got, I mean, I remember the the first game I ever went to, West Ham versus Orient, 1980. I had I got a program that day, and I had that for many years. And sadly, I lost it many years later. But for a long time, I had that in my cupboard. And every time I put my hand on that uh, program, it just instantly brought back memories of sitting there on that on that terrace at Upton Park as a nine-year-old and that was it, it all came sort of flooding back and okay you, you get memories obviously from looking at pictures taken on your um, phone's camera or whatever but um, I don't know it's it's a, it's a it's a lovely thing really it is that enigma that you quite rightly describe with the match day program lots of filler material some of the content a bit boring but at the end of the day there's no getting away from it it's a wonderful memento to have of you being there to see that game well the funny thing is that actually brings me on something else that um, someone did mention already it was Russell Osborne on Twitter I think who mentioned Mm. paper tickets (laughs) because actually I've still got most of the games that I ever went to uh, in the 90s I've still got the actual ticket from the game as well Yeah. and to me that's I don't know I actually prefer that to the program because obviously the program is like anyone could have bought it whereas like you know and you could buy it subsequently but that ticket is I held that that was my pass into the ground you know mm. um, and the funny thing is again I think this is gen- going to be a generational thing again I because I have uh, I'm going to see the new Star Wars film um, when it comes mm. out and I was looking at the tickets that I purchased online the other day and I have three options I can use my reference code to go to the box office to get the tickets Uh I can go to the ticket machine and use the reference code to print my tickets or I can literally just scan the barcode on my phone with Mm. the guy who lets you in and I thought no I want a ticket I want an actual (laughs) ticket to say that I was you know to say Star Wars The Force Awakens I want that ticket that has my ticket when I went to see it because I think I've actually tragically to admit this I've still got the one from The Phantom Menace you know which I've tried to block that out of my mind Um, (laughs) but it's like but again 
is that just a generational thing? Because we put value on tangible things. Well, things yeah. Does the generation coming up actually have that same attachment to physical objects? And I don't think they will. Uh, so it'll no. be interesting to see, like their memories, like you said, will be. I mean, their their souvenirs will be their pictures on their phone and their memories and lots of almost intangible stuff. Yeah, okay, a picture is still tangible in its, uh, you know a series of pixels and stuff and it's something you have to have mm. a physical object to view but it's you know it's not tangible in the same way and it's like it'll be really interesting to see if that that continues in that way and I like you like whether people's actual whole sense of nostalgia in the future will not be based on physical objects or will it just be based on experiences and memories sure yeah yeah it will all be downloading our images straight from a lead plugged into her head straight into a <laughs> into a phone or something We've gone into existence territory now. Yes, yes, but um, no, it's it's it, it, we, a definite pattern is emerging here. We're t- talking about sort of the the physical stuff, you know, the things you can touch and hold, and and uh, yes, I never really thought about it in this way. See, I knew there was a, a reason for doing these podcasts. It actually does kind of give you something interesting to think about. I've just realised that after thirty <laughs> episodes. Yeah, we are the philosophers of uh, of the uh, of the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What do you think Socrates got his name from? Yes. Well, exactly, yeah. Socrates, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think we've probably covered things actually other than football kit design, I think we've pretty much covered all the things that I suppose we regarded as nostalgia now. Um yeah. <clears throat> we can touch on football kits, but I, I mean I, I don't know. I, I think the only thing with football kits is that, and I've I've mentioned this before, is that because of the one-year kit cycles that everyone seems to be locked into now, it's, mm. and it's a point that John Devlin's made several times. It's like kits aren't really given time to be classics anymore. You know, I mean, no. you think back to the the first tailored by Umbro um, Man City shirt that came out, uh, and it looked ace, and then they sw- they changed it the year after. So I mean, it, these kit, the, the kits don't get eye. time. Yeah, the kits don't get time to be classics because they they change so quickly, and then you just it's it's like FIFA, you know, they just change yeah. every year, and it's just like then you just get so used to seeing a new kit, you can't sort of pin that kit down to any particular period of time. You know, yes, you can mm. say what season it was from, but you know, you look at a kit like the Admiral Tramline kit, you know, that was used for quite a few years, so it's like that represents the you know the late seventies. And then you look at the Talbot kit. That's the the uh, you know sort of early eighties and things like that. And it's mm. but whereas now it's just like they think they represent ever smaller amounts of time. So they don't have time to bed into the consciousness because and especially as generally the kits are being leaked, um, you know, towards the end of the existing season. So in effect, mm. a kit has a lifespan almost of less than a season nowadays. Because by the right. time it's actually what okay, it gets leaked in the previous season as well, and the same. So you know, its lifespan is on average a year, but but you don't see it in action until August, and then by the time you're sort of rolling around to March, February, you know, sort of March, April time, they're already discussing the next year's kits. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's it'd be interesting to see because I can't. I mean, yes, you do get kits. I mean, you'll get things like the cultural Leonessa one, which was the tuxedo kit, <laughs> but it seems to be only like the really quirky ones that will actually you know hold any relevance and even then a lot of those are lasting for a season only so it's and then yeah. they'll release another quirky kit the year after so we'll <laughs> remember the broccoli kit but do we remember any specific incarnation of it not really no because they yeah. they have the same thing every year now just a slightly different version and that's become a standard in itself yeah so i don't know what's yeah. your take on it all 
You know, I, I mean, we had a comment from um, Jack Henderson on Twitter sort of saying, um, I actually think very few kits of the last few years have the power to stand the test of time. And I'm inclined to agree um, without being a complete misery guts about the whole thing. But, um, I mean, I've sort of said for the last few years, really, that, uh, on and off, that a lot of the kits nowadays are um, sort of smart chic, you know, very sort of um, understated um sort of low levels of detail very nicely made shirts and very kind of um you know good quality in the production of, of the whole thing but um as far as kind of the how the thing sort of i don't know how, how a shirt is decorated let's say in terms of all the kind of motifs and things on the shirts concerned i just find that it's getting a bit too sort of simplified and i know jay from design football that we've uh, who's on previous podcast um sort of disagrees with me on this and I, I think to some extent we're both right and we're both wrong but um i i think you hit upon the more relevant point which is the very fleeting uh period that that, that, a, that a kit is relevant for um and i mean there's a few kits around now i mean i i do sense there is a very slight change in direction that we are starting to get some more daring designs coming in just very slowly um, like for instance the Arsenal third kit which I think was worn the other night in the uh, terrible thrashing at the hands of Bayern Munich um, which is the the navy blue shirt but it's got kind of like um, is it gold and white sort of diagonal yeah. blocks bit bit quirky bit left field and I think maybe in years to come in 20 years time or something kids will kind of uh, when they're older um, will sort of, or maybe when they're kids in 20 years time will look back and sort of see a shirt like that and it will probably stand out because there aren't many shirts that are quite as daring as that, or at least it doesn't seem that way to me. A um, bit like that Norwich third kit, the one with all the hoops and the kind of dark green and gold and yellow and all that. N no one seems to like it, but that might be the reason why it stands out in future. So I think there might be a few kits around that um, people look back on nostalgically in the future, but I think there were more of them in... If you go back to the sort of late 70s and throughout the 80s and particularly the early 90s when kit design got very wacky we've talked about a lot talked about that sort of thing a lot during our 50 greatest football shirts ever series on the previous five was it five or six podcasts we did um so you know there i think there were a lot more kind of wacky daring designs that sort of you can get nostalgic about back in that time but nowadays i, I find a lot of the kits have just the priority in the design is just to look smart but not um, necessarily interesting <laughs> if that makes sense yeah I mean I, the funny thing is I, I was just thinking about this a second ago and I was just thinking I might actually just contradict myself now because um, <laughs> I was just thinking a lot of those designs like you mentioned from the early 90s um, when kit design did go a bit mental a lot of those only lasted for one season yeah I so suppose, yeah. so I'm kind of even though I'm con kind of contradicting myself I think the hardest thing for for people of our age is that in effect we're not the ones making the nostalgia of tomorrow we've mm. got our nostalgia yes. so a lot of this will come down to what the current generation regard as classics now we can't see that because we are we've had our time of, of mm. regarding you know we've had our childhoods not in that way chris we're done for you know yeah. um yeah this is going to be the first ever podcast suicide i think um <laughs> Uh, but we it's kind of like so we've had our time and we've gone through that period so but we're on a we're in a different place now so it's like the people who will be forming the nostalgia in 20 years time 
and it's entirely down to what they remember so they might actually remember those those kits that we're talking about that we regard as just another you know another sort of blip in the sort of melange of kits that we mm. see we see a morass of kits and we just see every little sewer highlight but it means nothing to us but it could well be that they mean something to someone and therefore you know even if it only lasted a season it might have been a good season or they might have that might have been their first kit and that's the thing it's the classics of tomorrow hmm. it'll be really interesting to see what they are so I, I don't know I just yeah I just kind of almost contradicted myself there because I just <laughs> suddenly thought actually I'm saying about this one year kit cycle and then suddenly thought a lot of the classic ones from the time I mean, like the Holland 88 that was only worn for one tournament you know it was literally worn for about five matches yeah. And yet, it's still now, like so many years later, regarded as an absolute classic. Yes, true. So, Absolutely. so non, it doesn't necessarily take time. I suppose it's just impact. But I think the problem is shirts' impacts these days are reduced purely down to the, prolif- the sheer proliferation of shirts because you get three new shirts every season. Hmm. And so, yeah, okay, the shirt might have an impact, but it has. It, it's it's like you know, if you've got a shirt that stands out amongst ten other shirts that will be remembered if you've got a shirt that's remembered amongst 5,000 other shirts yeah you may, it might stand out but it's a damn sight harder to remember it because there's so much else to look at yes so exactly. it's, it's, it's quantity again and not necessarily quality you know mm. it was all better in our day Chris yeah, well, <laughs> it was night. absolutely yeah. There's, uh, yeah, nothing, the 90s, to, nothing to be argued about that <laughs> yeah the 90s were an absolute haven of, of classic shirt design <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah classic period as we know yeah quite uh, <laughs> So yeah, so so I th- like I said, I think we've pretty much covered everything off uh, of stuff that we sort of had as nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless there's anything else you can think of before we no. move on to what we think might be the nostalgia of the future, and this is where it gets you know kind of potentially sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, lots of lots of comments we've had, and and thank you to everybody that's sort of sent them in actually over the last 24 hours. We left it a bit late, unfortunately, but um, but yeah, I think um, you know the. The, the, the nostalgia of the future is probably what we should uh, be turning our well, attention to well just looking at one actually that caught my eye again from Russell Osborne uh, watching football in the pub now that's an interesting <laughs> one because that is something that apart from our sort of probably late 20s we didn't have because you didn't mm. watch football in the pub you know, <laughs> no. for the, so the generation now who looks back on the 70s as their golden time would never have had that because yeah. you just didn't get football in the pub but obviously that's the sort of kind of generation of people who were sort of growing up in the 90s and, and the sort of 2000s where you used to have you know you get Sky Sports in the pub so it's well will that will that cease to be or will that just you know be another one of those things like Panini that's still there but people look back on fondly mm. will back, there still back. be pubs well well exactly you know will, and will it will it ever be the case that people look back fondly on Andy Gray <laughs> I don't think that was ever likely <laughs> I'm sure some female employees probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, actually, if you think about it, you know, the whole thing of, like, going back like to, let's say, the late 70s, um, the only way you could have seen football in a pub then, you needed to have been in a pub on a Saturday night at about half past ten at night... And hopefully that they've got a TV mounted on a bracket in the in the corner of the in the room, and that was the only way. If you were lucky, you could see any football match of the day because obviously there was you know two programs on one on BBC on on a Saturday night and one on ITV probably on a Sunday afternoon. And and obviously you wouldn't have probably been in a pub on a Sunday afternoon watching uh, football. That was probably very unlikely back then. But uh, yeah, it just makes you think how things have changed. Actually, it does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> 
And well, and the funny thing is, even then, you'd have, I think you'd have had about half an hour before the pub closed as well. Well, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen a bit, and then it like got kicked out. Right. Who? Are, what else have we got then? Let's go dive through some of the comments. I did actually say. I mean, Russell Osborne did say, uh, "Would half and half scars be pushing it a bit?" But I think just I read that literally just after I'd, I'd actually commented on our own Facebook feed about half and half scarves and kits. Mm. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. So I don't, that's an odd one because that does seem to be quite popular. I mean, obviously it, it draws a lot of, you know, absolute bile from a lot of football fans. But then there's again, it's it's the next generation that will determine the fu- the, the nostalgia of the future. So mm. I don't know. They seem to be quite popular. Well, so, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think nobody seems to like half and half scarves, just like you know, half and half shirts, which are sort of seem to be you know emerging here and there. Um, but I think again, like I, there was something I mentioned earlier on, I can't remember what it was, but the fact that something is in many ways detested so much is what could actually make it look back on because people will look back in twenty years' time and and sort of say, oh, do you remember that those half and half scarves? Oh, we all hated those, didn't we? And that's what kind of brings the keeps the memory alive. Um, you you're saying that half and half scarves are popular? Who with exactly? I want uh, names. Well, and I'm saying they they are growing in popularity because you see oh them more God. and more. But I actually, I, I I mean, I do wonder if it, I, that is a perfect candidate really for future nostalgia in the sense that, like you've just said, it might well be that in 20 years' time people look back and you'll get old men like us going, "Oh God, I remember when people hated half and half scarves, <laughs> and now they're a normal thing." Now they'll probably be, in 20 years' time they could well be a normal part of football and that everybody has them. But mm. we'll, our generation, you know, the next lot of generation, the ones coming up below us, will be the ones going, "Oh God, I hated football," you know, and that was like the worst part of it was the half and half scarves. Remember when we had football without half and half scarves? You know, <laughs> the good old days when you could go to a Premier League match for only £300 you know the good old day <laughs> so, uh, so I actually I honestly think half and half scars are going to grow I don't think they're going away half and half kits mm, I, 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 I don't think that's going to take on the same level cause no. the, purely because of the cost Yes. You know, and on a half and half scarf, you can if you if you spot a bunch of disgruntled opposition fans, you can ditch your half and half scarf. You can't just rip your shirt off in the middle of the street <laughs> and try and hide it. So no, I don't, I don't think half and half kits are actually going to take off. Uh, but I do think half and half sorry yeah half and half kits. But I do think half and half scarves are here to stay. Yes. Sorry, people, but they are. Get over it. God. <laughs> Um, Russell Osborne uh, he gave us quite a few good suggestions to say as well as the things we've already mentioned the other thing he sort of mentioned was all-seater stadiums which is, I think is um, that's you know who knows we may end up going back in towards the direction of standing safe standing areas and stuff so you know those kind of um, faceless um, bowls uh, the, these new style stadiums that uh, often get mentioned and, and discussed you know I think there's every chance that people will look back on them and sort of say, oh yeah, we had that period of about 20 years when, you know, it was all seats in the stadium once upon a time. I can yeah. kind of imagine that somehow. I don't know why. Well, uh, to be fair, the first ever football, in fact, I've only ever been to football in all-seater stadiums. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind oh. of missed out on the early bit. I missed out on terraces. Yes. So, for me, it's kind of, it's the norm. Oh, yes. But, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm kind of hoping safe standing does get adopted, but I wouldn't be surprised if it what, doesn't. What was that strange noise? It? I, I was going to say I don't know if you can hear that, but my <laughs> cat's getting very annoyed with me now for a not giving it any more food, even though it's got food in its bowl, and b for not opening the window so it can go out into the pouring rain. But well, I don't care. I'm, I'm recording a podcast. Get over it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I seem, seem to remember I had a cat 
problem in a couple of podcasts back. This is a growing yes, trend. Yes, yes. Well, that's when that one, one got my old cat got stuck in the room that I was recording. It was like, let me out. I don't want to hear about Saputio anymore. <laughs> it's boring <laughs> it to death. Yeah, quite. Uh, um, okay, so what else? Uh, uh, let's see. We've got uh, Jay. Oh, good old Jay. Uh, remember when Adidas and Nike released boots with sock bits? Incredibly, at the same time, whatever happened to those? Yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that's an ideal. That's a perfect example. I think of something that will certainly get remembered. I can I can imagine there will be clip shows, but like the old was it like I love I love nineteen seventy <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. In about thirty years time, they will look back if there's a football variant of same, and well, they will we already, pick up on things, things like that. We already look back at black boots and and kind of their <laughs> yes. nostalgia oh, now, God. you know, kind of, and then it'll, in the future it will be boots that were actually just boots and didn't form part of your skin or something, <laughs> hermetically stitched into your foot. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah, genetically modified feet that with studs in them. <laughs> God, dear. <laughs> so uh, Jay you're, also... You're, yeah. Sorry, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, say you know, your foot ends up being sort of pigmented in, a, in the colour of your choice, just to sort of... Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You have to get new tattoos, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jay also mentioned Crystal Palace's cheerleaders. Very Kerry Packer, that. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's a, that's a wonderful one. Yes, the old cheerleaders. Are the, the sky, what are they called? The Sky... What they call Sky Sports Strikers? What oh, they call? I can't them? remember. Yeah, oh. I remember when they launched and there was fireworks and blooming cheerleaders and everything. Yeah, he also mentioned that World Cup finals being played with a gold ball, by which he means a golden coloured ball, not an actual gold mm. ball. Um, and FA Cup games being played with what is it? Grapefruit or something? <laughs> yeah, again, excellent. I mean, yeah, the whole notion that there was this period when we had to have a metallic coloured football for a World Cup final or a European Championship final. I'm so glad we got through the. Uh, other side of that because I just thought that was just crass and trying too hard at the time that was just my view well the funny thing with that is that it's almost kind of showing up what is now becoming new nostalgia at the moment in the sense of we rem- you know nostalgia for, for that sort of generation people of Jay's age because he's slightly younger than us mm-hmm. um, uh, would be I suppose World Cup finals played with a normal football you know yeah. at, at the moment because yeah. it's like I'm trying to think the first Special ball was it 2002? Did they have a special coloured yeah. ball for the ball? or did it start in 2006? I know that 2006 definitely had one, but I'm trying to. Th- I don't think the fervent the fever Nova had a different colour for the final, but I think mm. the 2006 might have been the first one I can recall. I like think it did. Geist Plus, did it? Yeah. Oh, I think you did. But yeah, it might have had a silver one or something because it was already a kind of puce gold colour anyway. Yeah, puce. Yeah, puce. <laughs> Puke more like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's also got song two slash Chelsea dagger playing after after goals are scored. Actually, yeah. a goal music. And there's another thing. Actually, yeah, I remember in the days when you could have a goal scored and you didn't get a, a shitty PA blasting out <laughs> a crappy tune. You know, with kind of Seven Nation Bloody Army. <laughs> you just have a PA that just goes. <laughs> what the hell was that? Second class return to Nottingham, please. <laughs> As a contemporary um, reference. <laughs> there's another 70s reference, thank you, yeah. Yeah, quite. Um, what else have we got? Paul MacArthur says how base layers went the way of the Sinclair C5, if only. In fact, well, base layer. <laughs> the thing is, though, and, and my only take on that, and I'm doing this mainly to wind Jay up, is the fact that base layers aren't actually a thing anyway. They're not, they don't, they're not a th- an actual popular thing. Nobody gives a <laughs> toss about base layers. Only freaks, AJ. 
and nobody <laughs> cares so that's not going to be nostalgic because nobody will even remember they happened apart from Jay rocking away in a corner going remember <laughs> base layers and they never Blackburn never had the multicoloured ones why didn't they do that he'll be in an asylum at the age of 50 I reckon <laughs> running designbaselayers.com <laughs> yeah scratching them on the wall with his kind of spoon <laughs> Uh, sorry, not not laughing at you, Jay. No, I am. <laughs> uh, Jeff Moore said uh, Beckham's Alice Band and Snoods. Uh, oh God, yes, yeah. Snoods a popular choice actually. Uh, following our appeal for things that will be uh, nostalgic in the future. Uh, yes, good old Snoods, not. And Andrew Rockall said, well, we've already covered this, I'm hoping Sabutio is still relevant. I've saved all my teams, all 32 of them, for my son. Twice I've promised the wife I've got rid of the box. <laughs> <laughs> the subterfuge going on in the Rockall household. Uh, yeah, just a bit, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else we got. I think that was it, wasn't it, for our comments? I think that's it. A fine selection of comments, so thank you everybody for those. Wonderful. Indeed. Uh, I'm, actually, how long have we been going? We've been going for quite a while, actually, so I think we ought to wrap it up, really. Yes. Oh, yeah, an hour and 22 minutes. So, yeah, time to shut up, I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, this, as I said, was podcast number 30. It is uh, also the very last Football Attic podcast, um, as the Football Attic, as an entity, is soon to cease to exist. Yes. I made that sound rather dramatic there. Would you like to further em- embellish this story, Chris? Oh, if 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 I must, yes. Um, yeah, it's it's um, said with heavy heart, I have to say. But um, um, basically, did you hear a car going past us? Then I did. So, yes. Yes. So that's my taxi. Just to, you'll have to. I'm, I'm handing back to you now to do this. And no. Um, uh, yes. Where was I? Uh, yes. It's it's said with heavy heart uh, that unfortunately uh, the football attic will uh, no longer be an ongoing concern as of uh, the 14th of November 2015, which as we're recording this now is one week from today and by the time you hear this it'll probably be in the next couple of days or so I'm sorry to say but um, we've reached a point where um, after four years um, we feel that we've we've done our duty we've covered as much uh, as we can and as much as we're interested in and passionate for in the world of uh, football nostalgia via our blog site and also via these podcasts and everything else that we do all our offshoot projects and things um, we've we've um, diligently been um, uh, documenting and recording everything from Subutio to Shoot Magazine, all the things we've been discussing here on this podcast, funnily enough, and everything from you know football shirt design to Panini stickers and, and much, much more besides. And, and we just feel, I think, that we've reached a point now where we can't give you any more we've we've covered it all before we start getting you know repetitious and and a bit too formulaic some might suggest that maybe we've already got to that point but we we don't want to go too far we want to bow out while we're on a high and while you're still um liking what we do uh, which hopefully is still the case um and enjoying the content that we provide and so um sadly this is uh, pretty much where the football attic uh, reaches its end we we wanted to get to the 14th of november because that's the fourth anniversary of when the football attic first started and um i can't tell you how quickly that four years has flown by i mean I, I, it's just amazing but um the reason it's flown by is because we have been having fun as the old saying goes and and um not only on our part fun derived from writing articles and creating podcasts but also interacting with you our listeners to this podcast and also um, visitors to our website and indeed many of you have been contributors uh, in the form of blog articles and so on and so forth down the years and um, I mean 
it would take us forever to say thank you to all of you individually but we do need to say thank you because um i mean speaking personally rich i mean this is the most sort of satisfying and and um i, I think probably the most popular uh, uh, blog site blog project and podcast where that i've been involved with and that's no disrespect to the people i've worked with on previous blogs and podcasts or anything like that but i think it's 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 testament to the fact that we've been uh, concerning ourselves with football nostalgia for the last four years i had a feeling that it was going to be quite a popular um, subject to focus on and by george it's certainly proven to be the case because practically everything that we've written about or done a podcast about we've had a tremendous reaction to and unlike anything I've known before so um, just once again just to say thank you to all of you for all of your support all of your contributions all of your dialogue that you've uh, had with us uh, over the last four years in whatever form that has taken um, we are more grateful than you'd ever know and um, it's it's just been a blast so thank you all for for all of your contributions I don't think there's anything out to that. I think you've just basically summed it up perfectly, Chris. Yeah, it's just, it has been a brilliant four years, but it, it has sort of reached the point where we just sort of want to do new things and not yes. necessarily blogs. We just kind of, I don't know, like you say, we've reached the point where we just feel that I, I think it's a natural, and it's nice to go out on a high as well, because I think we were talking about this just before, and you know, the fact we've actually had a really good year, because obviously hmm. Chris has just had his nomination for Blogger of the Year. Uh, I was chosen to do some radio interview the other week which was very strange and, and quite <laughs> enjoyable um, and obviously we had the 50 greatest football uh, shirts ever uh, which has got a massive response this year so mm. it's kind of and, and, and a lot of people that you know have, that I've mentioned that you know that this was coming to an end uh, there's there's a there's a couple of people at work I've mentioned it and they've they've all kind of said the same thing I was like oh why don't you carry on because you, you know it's almost like you're on a roll it's like but no we always said that we were doing it for fun and we'd do it for as long as we enjoyed it and I think we still enjoy it but it's I think that like Chris said the sort of point has come where we kind of feel that we we don't want to get repetitive and we don't want to repeat ourselves he actually says repeating the same phrase um, <laughs> and see and it's therein, happening already therein lies the problem yeah quite. <laughs> so no we're very, both very happy that we're going out on a high and, it, and like Chris said it has been an absolute bust I, I mean it's you know Chris it was his most successful project it's 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 my only real project that I've actually done and it's been an absolute pleasure to do and I think we've surpassed what we ever thought we would do you know and and I don't know we are incredibly grateful for everyone that's been involved with it um and you know we we hope we'll be missed but at the same time I mean I I might I'll probably still be around on Twitter as football attic uh, the the blog in itself won't won't have more no. articles um and we won't be doing any more football attic podcasts we might be doing something else but that we don't know yet um but mm -hmm. but i'd like i say i might stick around on twitter and still chat kits and stuff so but uh, yeah but yeah, that's that it after after four years it's been it's been a blast yes i think um yeah as i say the, the website will still be there we're not deleting all the stuff off the website It'll, all the articles will still be there so you can hopefully indulge and get nostalgic about our nostalgia if you like um, <laughs> in the future um, well that was the final thing I was going to mention for for, for um, nostalgia future nostalgia is the football attic itself <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right You've had, there's been one or two occasions over the last four years where we've sort of talked about things that we've done 
previously on the on the on the web website, and people have sort of said, oh, "So you're getting nostalgic about your own stuff now? Is that what it is?" And, and that's completely unintentional, but um, a happy coincidence, I think. But um, <laughs> but yes, um, so it'll all be there. You can uh, relive all the stuff that we've produced and be entertained, hopefully, by it in future as well. But um, yes, I think Rich, it's uh, time to. Uh, pull the ladder down and um, close the hatch on this football attic for the time being and um, that's it thank you everyone for listening so for the last time it's goodbye from him and it's goodbye from him (laughs) hey we got it right got it right last one (laughs) thanks everyone goodbye goodbye goodbye